This Much We Know is a podcast offering an honest and informative perspective of the realities and motivations of setting up a social enterprise. We will be joined by a number of charity leaders and social entrepreneurs whose trading models work to end homelessness. We will be sharing their stories, tips and of course their face palm moments. Hi Murphy, how are you? Good Simon, how are you doing? Not too bad, how's, how's life in Devon? Life in Devon is good. We've got a sort of snowstorm of dandelions today. So um, sneezy, apologies in advance if you hear me splutter. <laughs> oh, good. But yeah, we're now, doing, uh, we're now doing weather reports and pollen count on our podcast. So uh, hope <laughs> we're everyone likes that. Out. Right, let's not deviate too far. You know what I'm like. Uh, Paul, morning. Good to see you. Really great to see you both, Simon and Murphy. Thanks, thanks so much for inviting me in. So we're joined today by Paul Roberts from Aspire Oxford, who's going to tell us all about the enterprise work that they do um, and how far they've come. Paul, rather than me doing a sort of shoddy introduction, would you be able to talk a bit about yourself and about the organisation? Love to. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So hello, everyone. My, my name is Paul. I'm the, uh, the chief executive officer of Aspire Oxford and Aspire is uh, uh, an, an employment and housing charity and a social enterprise. Um, we operate uh, across Oxfordshire and the Thames Valley, uh, supporting people experiencing tough times and significant disadvantage and enabling them to move on and forwards in their lives through accessing secure housing and meaningful employment opportunities. Um, and, and a big part of our identity as an organisation is as a social enterprise in terms of how we achieve the outcomes and the impact that we do. Uh, and there's the practical side of that in terms of we we have our own trading company and we deliver commercial trading activity and great services to customers and that in turn generates critical unrestricted income that benefits the charity and enables us to really extend our impact there's also a cultural aspect to it too we're very very much an enterprising organization and that sense of enterprise and the urgency and agency to want to tackle some quite sticky, sticky entrenched problems uh, flows through uh, the organisation and that's, that's very much inculcated because we are a social enterprise as well. So I think one of the, um, one of the reasons we've got you on, other than being a fantastic organisation, is that what you've just described is exactly what we're trying to promote to other organisations as a, as a model of operating um, that achieves that income bit around unrestricted income for your sustainability but also delivers on your social outcomes and has a real impact on that sort of side um and so yeah that's why we're great to have you on um but also because we're really tr trying to promote that key message out to other organizations that this is possible yes you have got to have a good product and you've got to do all that stuff but fundamentally as a model this works fantastically well for both participant or beneficiary if you want to talk funding sort of language uh, and and for the organisations as well. Um, so really good. What does it look like, Paul? What does commercial trading, what, what services do you sell? Sort of what does that look like day to day for you? Yeah, thanks, Simon. So, uh, so on the ground activity, uh, we have our trading company called Aspire Enterprise Services. And through that company, we deliver grounds care property services um, has been our traditional sort of bread and butter activity and then we've extended that to include inclusive recruitment support and we also now do enterprise development support to fledgling social and community enterprises so there's a number of ways uh, aside from 
generating critical uh, income and surplus that is reinvested back into the charity that enables us to have a real um, diverse and far-reaching impact on the ground too so we can we can and do create work experience opportunities for people accessing our services uh, we create employment opportunities so if I look up at the workforce of Aspire at the moment, we employ just under 70 people. 40% of those have lived experience of the barriers that we are trying to tackle as an organization. So we create opportunities through drivers, grounds care operatives, uh, maintenance operatives, uh, as well as what we call grow placement roles across the organization. So there's a real pathway to engage through the organization. And then the recruitment service has that dual function of, um, of course, you know, providing professional recruitment services and support to, to organizations. But it's also a way that we can, once we've invested in people for our charitable work of being ready to move on and being ready for work as candidates, you know, through their own hard work and grit, they are then ready for those employment opportunities. And we've got a great vehicle to place them in front of employers. Brilliant. It's that full full 360 um, sort of viewpoint, isn't it? And it's nice to hear how enterprise is, is a part of the culture of Aspire as well. Um, you guys have been looking at enterprise for, for ages, right? This isn't something new for you. There's there's a whole background of work that you guys have done and, and Oxford's been um, somewhat of a hub, a hub for some of that. Um, what was the earliest sort of enterprise engagement that, that Aspire was part of? Yeah, so Aspire's always had... It started off with having a work experience uh, focused offer. Um, so there has always been an element of supported work experience since Aspire started 20 years ago. It's our 20th anniversary this year. But the, there's been a, a marked shift towards focusing on how do we make sure we have uh, a commercially sound operation that can still create social outcomes rather than just being a sort of uh, a therapeutic experience as valid as that can be mm. um, but one that was not financially sustainable at all and was not contributing to meeting the wider overheads of the organization so there has been a cultural shift which I think has been you know is it, I don't want to underplay that that's one that needs leadership and management to you know it won't just happen by itself you need to really create that environment where being commercially viable and, and profitable is seen as a, a good thing that reinforces and can and can enhance the social impact that an organization can achieve it's not at, it's not to the detriment of social impact uh, and that's the narrative which has taken time to embed and saying actually the more profitable we are within being a reasonable dignified organization that doesn't take advantage of or exploit people you know we can still pay we, we pay the oxford living wage or higher you know we've everybody's on secure employment contracts we top up over and above uh, auto enrollment pension contributions you know we've got it's a good place to work and we we invest in our staff but you can still do that and be profitable and i think that's the um, that's the that's the narrative that has taken time to embed and then i think what's what's really important about why i think charities should be working in this space and becoming more socially enterprising is that actually we really care about making sure opportunities are accessible and the social enterprise world can be quite inaccessible, mysterious, daunting, somewhat privileged as a space. And mm -hmm. I think it's our duty as charitable organizations to 
to make it more accessible. So we, we've, over the last two years, we've set up uh, an enterprise development program and where we're supporting individuals who uh, are accessing our other sort of charitable services who're saying, well, actually, if you want to look at self-employment as a route, we can go, go on that journey with you. We can help you to think about what it means to start a business. We've got a micro grants program to help people start up. We've got, we've built relationships with market stall traders, um, customers of various services to help people get a foot in, in the door and to start going. And I think the power of enterprises shouldn't be limited to charities. It should be open to, to, our, to people experiencing our services too. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I mean, that's the, yeah, self-employment and enterprise. That's probably a whole nother podcast series, but I do, yeah, I think we undervalue the, the sort of, the opportunities that lie there, especially for, you know, for the client base that we all sort of work with regularly that, you know, we sort of undervalue that. So yeah, I love that. Really, really important. Paul, you sound like you're sort of, you, you, you sound like you've been in this for a while and you sort of know a lot about it and been through a lot. Um, sort of, can you remember when you started out, how did you feel when you first started out in social enterprise, getting your head around this profit making business, the, the social impact side of things sort of how did you feel when you first set out on this sort of journey that you've been on I felt like I had a lot to learn I mean I, I didn't come from a commercial an overly commercial background so I had experience of self-employment I had experience of also starting up a business um, and I'd had a, a sort of common experience of volunteering throughout my adult years then I had an ex uh, uh, spent time in the civil service managing projects and managing teams. Um, so that sense of sort of public service and wanting to do something which, yeah, I've, I've never been personally particularly financially motivated. Um, so I wanted to do something that was public service, but something where there was a space to genuinely innovate and not feel in a rigid bureaucracy. And that's why, I, so I think the sort of coming into the social enterprise world is a really neat fit for me personally um and being able to sort of practice all those things that i think are really important um but i've benefited along the way from engaging with development programs and training opportunities and linking into a wider network of peers um so i did the uh, leadership development program at the school for social entrepreneurs uh, about five years ago and that was a really good experience and then that approach of them being connected with other social enterprise leaders and working together, we've established what's called the Oxfordshire Social Entrepreneurship Partnership, OSEP, which is a community interest company. I'm a co-director of that. And so we've created this platform in Oxfordshire where we can help new enterprises to get started and to, to give that peer support so that we can accelerate that gap from when I first started, where I didn't really know anything. And it took quite a long time to build up Aspire Social Enterprise Activity. But actually, people starting that journey now can we can accelerate that there's relationships the infrastructure and the support in place to to really improve that experience mm, that's really interesting it always seems to come back to this doesn't it simon with our guests is that that value of the network and having those you know people doing similar things and standing off ideas and and access is what seems to drive people to to be able to do it because it also can be somewhat lonely <laughs> you know not not having people who who get this space it is unusual for people not working in it it can be hard to hard to understand I think there's just a and there's, I think it's just a really valuable space for yeah for that sort of accelerator learning program approach 
which I think is quite unique to social enterprise, actually, because, you, you know, it, you know, that approach and, and peer learning, we're all doing this together approach is really effective. You know, if you think about the guests that we've had and other social enterprises yeah. we've sort of engaged with or worked with, um, you just realise how valuable those programmes are. Um, and often people are like, oh, it doesn't come with a grant. Well, actually, sometimes the learning that you get could be in value, could far outweigh, you know, a grant that you might receive, because actually it could transform your approach or your thinking um, that will lead to you not even to need that grant income, you know. So I think there is there's a really valuable space for that. Um, and it's just great to have Paul on and talk about how that helped him, really. So that's really good. Looking at where you are now as an organisation, how you've changed, you talk about this cultural shift within Aspire as well and getting people around the idea of bringing in commercial models. Yeah. Um, what are the key conversations and challenges that you had sort of along that way? I think it was accepting that we didn't have all of the right knowledge and experience within the organisation. So we we needed to bring in new new ideas new thoughts and therefore new people mm. um, as well as also to have the people with the right qualifications and experiences to reassure people who may wish to invest in us or to 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 you know to give us their custom that we had the right capacity in the organization so for example uh bringing in a head of finance um, mm. bringing in in new independent directors onto our trading subsidiary board who have you know, hail from commercial experience they don't have social impact third sector experience but that doesn't mean that that people with commercial sector experience cannot be compassionate and want to direct their skills and expertise to support a social good you know that's and I think that's one of the the biggest things sometimes that the third sector needs to do is look look outside of itself and be more embracing and open to how people from uh, the commercial sector can really add value to their organizations on particularly as non-executive directors on boards and this makes me transformative for aspire to have access to to people with that kind of commercial experience mm, that's really interesting and actually an area that we we cover a lot through the enterprise programs that we run for our social investment is you know creating good governance that has an understanding of of social impact and you know commercial viability how did you go about reaching out to these sort of new trustees the recruitment you know that shift in language as well is quite an interesting one yeah I think the, the, the trustees is getting them is, we went we undertook an investment readiness program um, which uh, allowed us to really understand what would be needed to uh, engage with social investment tax relief as a as a way of raising mm. additional um, investment for the organization uh, and understanding that we needed to pull together a prospectus and a business plan and so on, um, which we were able to do a, a degree of by ourselves. But we we it quickly became aware of where the where the gaps in our knowledge and experience was, and how we could really sort of how do we be able to sell ourselves to to put our best front forward to investors, for example. So that was a I think that that experience was definitely a tipping point of knowing starting to articulate the the gaps that we had and how we needed to reach out to people with more commercial experience and then because Aspire had already we were already undertaking some trading activity that we piloted or was currently delivering from within the charity um, as primary purpose trading that gave us enough access to customers 
and therefore to the wider business community that we could get the word out that we were looking for people and that we were looking for support and that there were these voluntary non-exec roles available. And, uh, and, and yeah, we, we were really impressed by the quality of candidates who came forward from the Oxfordshire business community who wanted to mm. support. Uh, and we're very passionate as well about seeing the, the power of how you know, people with business experience could really contribute. And often they found it quite frustrating before if it's, it, them engaging with Aspire was not their first attempt to engage with the charity sector to share their skills. Yeah, I think sometimes in the sector, we're not very good at appreciating what skills people bring to the table. So you get a contact with a, a company or a director of a company or something like that. And you think, well, what could you give financially fundraising wise? And actually, sometimes it's not that it's about actually, how can we put you to use elsewhere with the expertise that you've got are actually, yeah, hugely valuable. It's yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's right. You've got to really look at what's all the you've got to squeeze the pips out of these relationships with corporate partners. Yeah. And, and I think they really, they respect you for that. So I look at our relationship with the mid counties co-op. It started off as a traditional fundraising one, but they've since helped us to, you know, we've been, been supported around improving our data protection policies through to um, they, they currently, they recruit from us. We're helping them as well, uh, working together around how do we create social value procurement routes how can we work together around community wealth building in Oxfordshire? You know, it's a much richer conversation now. Uh, we're, we're going to be opening an enterprise development hub in, in one of their food retail stores in East Oxford, taking over the site of an empty Dorothy Perkins concession that's shut down. You know, I think that's a great narrative there of, you know, old traditional retail, not really meeting people's needs, but there's a space there that we can work in a partnership approach to creating new enterprising communities. So I think there's just got to, it takes time to build those relationships, of course, and you've got to start somewhere. And sometimes it is a more traditional sort of engagement. But um, I definitely hugely encourage not sort of not keeping relationships restricted to sort of traditional fundraising conversations. Brilliant. Love it. And just picking up on, on that, Paul, are there some key, you mentioned one sort of key partner there, I guess, um, from the sort of commercial sector. Are there others or key individuals that you sort of engaged with along this journey you've been on and, and you've really thought actually it was that conversation with that individual at that point in time that really changed what we did or has had a yeah. massive impact. Yeah, I've, for quite a while, I was, yeah, when I first started, I was quite cynical, I must admit, about engaging with the private sector and I'm thinking, well, it's going to be quite sort of, I don't know, I, I, was, I, I, I was, I felt apprehensive. Um, but then we started to work with Landsec, who had come to Oxford to build the Westgate Shopping Centre. And, you know, they, they started off by making a relatively generous sort of upfront grant award, which obviously helps. But then they were, they were genuinely keen to see where could they take the relationship? How could they also expand that into other aspects? So now, for example, um, they've, uh, they, they've, through the build process they insisted their subcontractors work with us and recruit from us they they promote our promote us actively to all of the tenants in the shopping center um they donate surplus digital devices you know there's lots of uh, they give us um reduced cost use of their meeting rooms and, and facilities um and somebody from their procurement team is now volunteering in another third sector organization to support around 
how can you improve value for money and procurement from from third sector organizations so it's just see the how you know that 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 relationship really changed my uh sort of quite limited perspective on on what would be sort of achievable with with sort of partnerships at the local level uh, with with uh, corporate sector partners but um yeah so i think it's just a case of not not being too dogmatic about things when you start out on these on these conversations mm, that's great i mean yes clearly a great example of buy-in um lots of different areas um and i guess one of the things that's coming out for me from this conversation is that i was going to talk, ask you about your model and, and why that model but it sounds like you're you know ever changing and responding to what's going on some of it's been organic and some of it's been through you know asking the right questions at the right time is that an attitude that is unanimous around the organization is there any particular model that feels like more the direction aspire is going to move into yeah i'd say the the, the commonality of culture is around being enterprising and sort of that to a degree is opportunistic yeah so sensing an opportunity and then making the most of it but also looking at it from a you know how is it commercially viable how could we respond to that um and i think that that is quite well embedded now across the organization and when we go out to recruit it's one of the key values that we highlight in our in our job adverts is around that, that enterprising aspect of our culture and wanting people who, who are coming as candidates for any role in the organization to really sort of articulate how they share that value so i think we're just sort of reinforcing that most of the time with every recruitment we make um, and i think the other thing that that helps with instilling that culture is as we've supported other organizations to start up as social and community enterprises people start to see the impact that that has in their you know as whether they're my employees or employees of local organizations they start to see that actually they're starting to recruit as well and creating job opportunities for people who would maybe have tended to access our services or we're procuring our services from other social enterprises um and that's that's very powerful as well fantastic i loved it it's great it's really good having you on paul um here just a slightly sort of more light-hearted question i guess um which is our favorite um, is 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 there a favourite facepalm moment for you? You know, so that moment of you know where you realise what are we doing? This is absolute madness. You know, has there been any, any of those moments along the way? Been a few out there sort of moments where you think, is this the right thing to be doing? Can we actually deliver against this? Because you kind of you got to get that balance right, don't you? Of wanting to meet what customers want and need because you want to respond to them and, and, and obviously retain their custom. But equally, you don't want to stretch yourself beyond what you know are your sort of quality and capability limits. The closest we came to that, we, we built, we were asked, could we build some outdoor beaches um, with, um, uh, in this sort of open area, alfresco space for, between several restaurants so that they could have like, um, you know, Sort of local families to come and just sort of have a beach experience in central Oxford. I'm excited which... for the story. <laughs> I'm looking forward to where this one's I'm going. in. I'm hooked. <laughs> it sounded like a great idea at the time, and and um, and actually, it, you know, so we was like, how do you build like effectively like raised beds and lay the 
the grounding and then of course pour in lots of sand which um was very stressful but we did it in the end um of course then how much do you factor in for them what happens when it starts to when the weather starts to progress and deteriorate uh, over the coming months and then when also when uh let's say pets of local families in the area perhaps have a different interpretation of what a giant sandpit can achieve for you <laughs> it suddenly it suddenly became how do you prevent it from being the world's biggest toilet for everybody's pets so yeah i think i think yeah the, the lesson from that is really thinking through well what's the long-term arrangements for some of these exciting initiatives which to be fair i think yeah we did our bit which was to build it we weren't we uh, the aftercare was perhaps for the customer to think through the <laughs> love it it's fantastic yeah. <laughs> one of the phone i can imagine the phone calls now just dealing with that that was like this is not how i foresaw this week panning out <laughs> I, I, just, I, I must admit that, that the beach feature is no longer there unfortunately <laughs> I, think, I think i think the neighborhood dogs and cats won that one so. <laughs> amazing so I suppose following on from that and, and looking at the wider sector, you know, you guys are well connected working with your you know, partners in the Oxford area. And I know there's lots of people that you're in contact with um, through the Homestick membership as well. Are there any particular social enterprises, social entrepreneurs that you're seeing at the moment doing really exciting things? Who are you watching? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really impressed by Homes for Good in Scotland. Yeah. Uh, such a um, a great model that that's been built up there and um, the way that they've also managed to attract social investment in a sustainable way to grow that model. Um, I think they're, they're a great ambassador for the sector. Uh, and I like the way that they're instinctive. I, I like the way that they practice social enterprise in their values as well, in terms of their very open and sharing of their model and they want to see others succeed. It's not about sort of, oh, this is mine. This is the only, we're the only ones who could possibly deliver this. I think, um, yeah, they're, they're very open and accepting and want to see it replicated. And I think that's that's what I love about social enterprise is that by and large, we all just want to see more of it. And we want to we want to be open source. We want to 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 see every to help as many people to develop those sustainable models as possible. It's not it's not so sort of um, commercially cutthroat. Oh, we need you to record our, our intro to the podcast. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. He's basically just just nailed our podcast that's taken us ages to write. <laughs> You've just got to do it for a year, Paul. Well, being socially enterprising, I hope you don't mind me charging a commission for that, Simon. <laughs> checks checks in the post. <laughs> we set ourselves up there, didn't we? Uh, but no, yeah. that, that is exactly it. And I think what what sort of caught me in the sector, I suppose, is that um, appetite to share and appetite to celebrate each other's successes and learn from each other's mistakes. And that's absolutely the the motivation for us doing this and getting people on the show and, and talking about different models is to create a platform to share. Um, so yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, and I'd say it's also, I think it's setting up the framework and foundations for something deeper and more sustained as well around um, what feels quite conceptual when you say it, but in practice, it'll be really powerful. That's community wealth building. I think, yeah, social enterprise in Oxfordshire, including our work, we've been building relationships between larger, sort of larger organisations that have big spending power. It's the universities, it's the hospitals, it's you know these fantastic places like Blenheim Palace 
it's the local authorities it's big housing mm. associations you know they we've got good relationships with them and as the i think the pandemic as well has shone a really stark spotlight on the level of inequality in places like oxford city and just how just it's just unacceptable that that's continuing and that the way to to really a, a engage with that is around how do you create a genuinely more inclusive economy? How do you build wealth in communities? How do you make money stick and stay circular rather than flowing out? Mm. Um, and that's like getting under the bonnet. What's the hard wiring of your local economy and how can you rewire it? How can you change the way big organizations spend their money? Um, and I think it's really, we're really, it's really exciting in Oxfordshire that we're now going down that path and getting some genuine engagements um, from these big organizations around how how they should be you know there's there's a lot that social enterprises and community enterprise sector can do to build their capacity and diversify their offer to be more attractive to the to customers but equally customers need to make their opportunities more accessible and and i think it's that meeting in the middle that social enterprise encourages that can then lead on to uh, to more sort of societal structural shifts that we all need to see yeah i love that i agree with you because i think we we tend to shy away from it a bit in this sector. We sort of quietly get on with it and make it happen. And actually, sometimes we need to say, actually, where is that university procuring its grounds maintenance work from? Who's doing the, yeah, who's running the, the catering kiosk in that in that hospital? We, we sort of shy away from some of these opportunities because we feel like that's very bullshy and pushy for us to say, well, hang on a minute, we could have that or we could run that for you. Um, and I think we need more of that. We need more organisations like yourselves who are like, we can provide that and we can definitely make it work and we can achieve social outcome with it. You know, we can help people move through, move on from homelessness, for example. Um, so I, yeah, I love that. I'm really, yeah. I, I really like what you guys are doing, Paul. And um, yeah, it's been great to have you on. You've really, you've brought some themes out today that we hadn't even thought about discussing or covered in previous podcasts. So it's really nice to have somebody come and speak about community wealth building and changing that local economy. How do we, do that as a social venture um yeah it's been fantastic yeah, you're very welcome now it's been it's been really nice to, to come on i mean something that's that sort of that sort of really motivates me is when i see you know people who would never have identified as a social enterprise leader um wouldn't have said not me in a million years how could i possibly do that to see them to start to set up and run and develop their own enterprises is, is a really humbling experience so i mm. think that's something I'm keen to to encourage more of is how do we make it feel more accessible, more welcoming, giving that that much needed sort of initial support and infrastructure. So because um, then that can really accelerate change as well. I look at there's a great organization in East Oxford called the Syrian Sisters. And we've mm. been working with them to support and set up their community interest company called Damascus Rose Kitchen. And it's great because then you've got former refugees who've come to this country uh, who are now employed. They're being paid the Oxford living wage. They're they're like, you know, doing catering for different Oxford University departments and stuff like that. And that's the kind of, that is change on the ground, isn't it? That is social enterprise. Yeah, yeah. that is absolutely what it's about. Um, and it's been brilliant. You know, you've talked about some really large scale partnerships and these smaller stories that are coming out. And that ability to network and see the value in all of it is, you know, it's brilliant. It's just, it's great to have you on. It really is. And um yeah. Do you have any sort of final words of advice for someone looking to get into social enterprise, starting social business? Yeah, I'd say take the time to find out in your area where the support is and where you can engage with 
people who've got a bit more experience because they're always they are willing to share yeah it's just finding the right time uh to do that but i think yeah there are some good networks out there um and some good sort of development programs so um that's a really if you can get that kind of experience it's a really good good start on your on your journey i'm very happy always happy to to meet up with anybody who's who's expressing interest in social enterprise yeah, great. And I'll vouch for that, Paul. You've always been great when we've made introductions and taken the time to speak with people. So I'm sure that's really valued by people. Um, but yeah, it's been great to have you on. Um, no final questions for me, Simon. Anything you wanted to add? Um, well, thank you, Paul. Only to say, where do where do we find out more about your work? What What's the website, Twitter, that sort of stuff, so people can have a look, little look online? Yeah, great. Yeah, so our website is www.aspireoxfordshire.org. And uh, you can also follow our, follow us on Twitter at Aspire Oxford's our Twitter handle. Um, and we even have YouTube and Facebook. Dare I say it, we might even be moving into Instagram soon. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Love it. Fantastic. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe for more episodes or follow us on Twitter at thismuch underscore we know or email us at thismuchweknow at homelesslink.org.uk. 